welcome all you good movie buddies to the Popcorn Diets 2019 Oscar Primer. As always, I am your very best, prestigious good movie buddy, Rick Williamson. And joining us today, we have a special guest good movie buddy, previous co-host on the podcast, my sister, Leah Theodosis. Leah, how's it going? Good. This How is, are you? It, I'm great. This is the second time you've been on the podcast and the second time in which Emma Stone... This is the third time. Third time. What's your... What was the second we time? We did A Wrinkle in Time. That's right. We did and do A Wrinkle in did Time. And then we did Battle of the Sexes. Right. And now we're doing... The Favorite. The Favorite. That's right. Now, before we get into The Favorite, though, for those of you who've never listened to our Oscar Primer episodes, it's an entire series of mini episodes that we've done this awards season and they're designed to bring a little bit more of an analytical look at what one may call the classy pictures, the prestige movies, the front runners, those that are considered to be big players in the awards season at as it has sort of uh, sort of unfolded uh, ever since, you know, the, the better part of last year, going all the way up to January 22nd, in which we'll see the Oscar nominations announced, and then going all the way up to February 24th, in which we'll have the 91st Annual Academy Awards. So this is uh, an entire series. If you've never listened to this before and you've never seen any of the movies that are, you know, talked about being nominated, which... It's probably a lot of you because these movies haven't made a ton of money. <laughs> I highly recommend going back and checking them out. There's an entire series of them. And this episode, we are talking about the period satire, dramedy, comedy, kind of funny, kind of sad movie called The Favorite. Now, The Favorite is directed by Greek director Yorgos Lanthimos. And I'm not going to say his last name again. It's just going to be Yorgos from this point on, and he is responsible for directing some pretty weird movies, Leah. Now, you told me you haven't seen any of his other movies I yet, haven't right? seen any of his other films. So his two more, uh, you know, I don't want to say popular films, but his two films before this that gained similar critical acclaim were The Lobster and The Killing of a Sacred Deer. And the best way to put it is that those movies are just weird as hell. They're just weird, and there's I don't know. The, I've heard of the lobster. I want to see the lobster because Rachel Rachel Weiss is Weiss in, it. Is in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Colin Farrell's in it. Uh, really good cast. Uh, David will have no issue with me telling this. He's made no secret of it, but he's not a fan of the lobster. Okay, noted. It's, it's out of his wheelhouse. Okay, it's a little too weird for him. Um, but this film is actually a film that he did not write. This is a film that was written by Deborah Davis and Tony McNamara um, based on the relationship, the historic, you know, relatively historical accurate relationship between Queen Anne and Sarah Churchill, Abigail Masham, uh, kind of in the midst of, God, what is it, the 1700 war with France. And it stars... A lot of people, some people who you probably be pretty familiar with, some people who you might not be. Uh, it stars Olivia Coleman, who was also in The Lobster. She's also on The Crown. And she was also in Hot Fuzz. For those of you who've seen Hot Fuzz, she's Doris in Hot Fuzz. It stars Rachel Weiss, who was who was best known to me as being in The Mummy. Oh, heck yeah. She's also in The Lobster. She won an Oscar for her role in The Constant Gardener. Emma Stone, who I don't think I need to explain to anybody who Emma Stone is, but Battle of the Sexes, La La Land, uh, Easy A, Superbad, an Arizona product. Yeah. Uh, and then you got 
Nicholas Holt, who plays Beast in the new X-Men movies. You got Joel Alwyn, who was in Billy Lynn's Halftime Walk. Um, but ultimately... Also, like, dating Taylor Swift. Who Joel Alwyn is? Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Oh, we're getting some Taylor Swift knowledge in yeah, here. Yeah, hitting you with the Swifty yeah. influence. Yeah, they've been dating since before she wrote her last album. Wow. They're so going strong. They're very... They're going to make it. Are you... I hope so. There's not going to be a song about him in like a year and a half. She wrote like half of the songs on the album about him and they're all great. And then she wrote like half of them about like Kanye, which are all the mean, I hate you songs. <laughs> I can't wait till they break up again and we get a whole album that's half songs about how. Yeah, like, we'll see. I don't know. They seem wow. for, they seem like they know what they're doing. This is already the, the you're bringing in outside knowledge already. Here we go. I guarantee you ain't nobody going to sit in that chair and give me Taylor get, Swift yeah, knowledge. Yeah, get about, ready. About the sixth lead in the favorite. It's so <laughs> funny because people will be like. Oh, Joe Alwyn. Oh, Taylor Swift's boyfriend. <laughs> hey, whatever you got to do, Joe, go good for you. I'm, I'm, pull, I'm pulling for you, kids. Oh, my God. I'm pulling for you, kids. So let's talk about the storytelling and the plot of this film, Leah. Um, I mean, I gave a very brief introduction of it, but it's you were informing me before the podcast that mm -hmm. this actually does have a lot of historical relevance, maybe not in the little tiny details, maybe not in like the dialogue mm -hmm. and things like that. But that this is a this is actually a fairly historical, accurate um, kind of telling of the queen being this kind of spoiled yet tragic figure, mm -hmm. and the two women who were fighting to basically be her advisor, her yeah. her, her quote unquote favorite, mm -hmm. um, which is a not inofficial term. You know, it's yeah. it's it's literally the queen's favorite. Mm -hmm. Um, and it starts with uh, Rachel Weisz's character, Sarah, being the favorite and being so comfortable, you know, in their relationship with the queen that she basically just bosses the queen around, mm -hmm. you know. She tells her straightforward. I mean, there's a scene in the opening where um, Olivia Coleman comes out and she's got like different makeup on for that time period. Right. And she's like, I wanted to do something different with my with my makeup. And uh, Rachel Weisz's character is just like, you look like a badger. Go take it off. Go Whereas it off. like nobody would ever tell a queen that <laughs> a what they wanted to do that was different and maybe exciting for them looks like Stupid. an animal. So like that's kind of a good representation of what their relationship definitely kind of looks like and how Rachel how Rachel's character is just brutally honest and but also like from a protecting yes you know from I, I need to protect you from the outside world the people who would take advantage of you and yes. mock you yes and then Sarah comes in or I'm sorry Abigail comes in Emma Stone who mm -hmm. is uh Rachel's cousin I believe I so. think it was I think it's I, I believe it is yes, her younger cousin. cousin. Younger cousin who kind of comes in. She's been on she's been on rough times. She shows up to the 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 She palace. used to be a lady That's or a right. duchess or something like that. I believe it was a lady. Mm -hmm. But something happened with her dad that knocked him down a peg. I, I have no idea how that whole Her dad was world basically works. a piece of garbage. And then that also knocked her down a peg. So she went from being a lady to now having nothing. Yeah. And so she reached out. I mean, this is what is implied. She basically reached out to her cousin, Sarah, who was Help able get to get her a really basic, you're working in the kitchen, you're cleaning the floors kind of job. Right. And and thus begins the slow kind of competition 
to keep either keep the queen's favor or gain the queen's favor. And what's interesting, and I never considered this before, is the way that Sarah is that brutally honest person. She's the person that care. I truly believe cares about the queen deeply, uh, but is also kind of extremely mean in keeping the queen in line. Like nobody called you fat. Nobody, but I would say it and I did not. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Whereas Emma Stone's character, Abigail comes in as this, oh, you're the best. You're great. I would ravish you. I would make Praise. you feel like a million dollars. F- filling the queen's head with all of these these praises. Exactly. Especially because th- from the beginning of the film to the end of the film, you see the queen physically yeah deteriorating from just different diseases and sicknesses Mm -hmm. and gaining weight and all of that that shit that they couldn't solve back you don't know what is happening in the 1700s yeah um and it goes and and then that i mean that isn't again a really interesting point in that you know sarah came in from this harsh protector role and abigail comes in as this nurturing lover type role and even both of them even goes so far as to be, uh, I don't know what the word is, sexual partners with the queen. That's you know? the word. Which again, second movie we've done where Emma Stone is is or is implied to be somewhat lesbian. Yeah. So I don't know <laughs> what kind of pattern we're setting here. Um, yeah, I thought that was interesting too, but I think that had a lot to do with just like being on the queen's favor. Sure. Because... Where what the queen was married, yeah. Um, but there was no man throughout the film, um, in the story because he was gone. Right, he was gone. She and, had miscarried yeah. dozens of, <laughs> seemingly dozens of times. Yeah, and that's actually, I believe, a, a fact sure. in history is that she miscarried dozens of times. Um, don't bet money on that, but I believe I based off of my internet research, that was something that was true. <laughs> Um, but what's, what's really fun is that you then have, like, you have Nicholas Holt as Robert Harley, who's the first Earl of, of Oxford, and he's, like, pushing Stone a little bit. Like, you can be, if you can get favor in the queen, then you'll be beneficial to me, and then you'll get to marry what's-his-name, and blah, 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 blah. Ultimately, the film, and spoiler alerts for the favorite here, ultimately the film ends, and there's uh, so much more to go through here. Uh, there's, <laughs> there's sicknesses, there's, there's horses being dragged away, there's people being attacked, there's Party scarred scenes, faces, parties, like, dancing. There's a lot of different stuff that happens in this film. But ultimately the film ends with, with Sarah attempting to reconcile and Abigail ruining it one more time, throwing it into the fire. And even though Abigail technically wins per se, and Sarah is sort of excommunicated from the, this, and this is true as well, she fell out of favor with the queen, the queen kicked her out, took the gold key, um, and then brought up trumped up charges of, of, of embezzlement on them. Ultimately, that's all true, but then at the end, like, Abigail is still, she doesn't realize that she has to actually be, like, subservient to the queen. Yeah. And it's even though she has won, she's kind of lost. Yes. Uh, and I like that. I like that even more now that you brought that, again, a little bit more into the into the limelight that despite the fact that Sarah was super mean, she was probably better off for the queen than Abigail was, whereas Abigail was just trying to make power grabs. 
Yeah, and in a way, she was just trying to get back the title that she her father had lost her in sure. a way, too. So it's like she was just looking to become a lady again and have that title back for herself, being able to go to parties, wear nice things, mm-hmm. not sleep on the floor, not clean up after people, rather right. have people do that for her. Right. And so she found this opportunity to do that. Mm-hmm. What she didn't realize at the end, which I thought was like, oh, that's yeah like she kind of screwed herself over is sure she became a lady but she also is still doing way more because it's so much more personal she's still serving Um, she's still serving so i think like you kind of see that in emma stone's face at the very last shot too where she's just like like shit i didn't really win (laughs) so which is kind of nice because like abigail's character is a bitch yeah she really is and that and that kind of goes into you know the <laughs> directing you know the directing and the performances of the film and what Yorgos brings to this film from a directing standpoint because ultimately it's a really interesting chess match mm-hmm. ultimately everything is just an ideological chess match it's it's a chess match in not like literally moving pieces, but making decisions, saying the right thing, doing the right thing. I mean, Abigail goes- Two steps goes, ahead. Exactly. Abigail goes out of, out of her way and makes a really big leap in getting those herbs to, to heal and soothe the, mm-hmm. the queen's leg wounds and whatnot. But knowing to let Rachel Weiss's character say it wasn't her, knowing right. that I have this power, I'm choosing my loyalty, I want to help. Right. Knowing that later on she can- kind of have a pull and she's slowly climbing up that ladder. Exactly. And a big part of that is, again, it goes back to the director and the way that he's able to frame this chess match in a way that makes sense. Again, one of my biggest issues with, with Yorgos as a director before is that his movies are just so weird. They're almost too abstract to be able to grasp onto. Um, And this film is much more accessible. This is easily his most accessible film. And it's just such a well-made film in terms of not only the way that it is crafted and the way that you can see like point A, point B, and even you as an audience member Mm -hmm. might be trying to think two or three steps ahead, but also just in the way films and scenes are shot in the way that he brings somewhat of a modern sensibility to uh, a lot of the proceedings. I mean, I would venture to say that even though everybody is, you know, acting very period appropriate, there are still moments like, I mean, the biggest one is from the trailer where Emma Stone just kind of does that snort where she's just like, or she's like, uh, I've been to hell and you will visit it someday. And I was just yeah. like, <sighs> yeah, like that was like that. Those little touches are in there. Yeah. That are really, really good and really valuable from a directing standpoint. Not to mention the film is gorgeous. Yeah, it but, really is. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. Ultimately, I think Yorgos has an opportunity for director, but this is about the key, the three performances. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because Olivia Coleman is the one being pushed as the lead and Emma Stone and Rachel Weiss are being pushed as the supporting. I think if if this wasn't such a political thing, all three would be leads. It's basically a three person show, yeah. right? Who do you who do you think out of all three of those, if we had to pick three of those, who do you think like wins? Oh, I would give it to Olivia Coleman. You think so? Yeah. I mean, I loved all three of their performances, but Olivia Coleman being funny and stupid as a queen and not really knowing (laughs) how to lead a country or make decisions on her own. She just did such a phenomenal job of giving this character a little bit of lightheartedness, but also showing the dark and power that she knew she held. Sure. Um, So I would definitely give it to her. My favorite scene in the whole film 
I don't know if it's disgusting to anyone else, but she's basically just like deteriorating through this movie. And there's a scene where she's just like so sad and crying and eating cake, but she's so sick and she like throws up the cake and is just so angry because she doesn't like these illnesses and stuff weren't things that had cures at the time. So she's like dying in a way but she's just like still eating cake and just wants to hang out with her pet rabbits and i'm just like oh my god like what a crazy scene where it's like still you're watching her and she's like falling apart but like she's doing it in a way that you're like kind of giggling at it yeah oh absolutely there is a very odd sense of humor behind this movie i mean it goes from like you said you got a scene that is so mesmerizingly grotesque and sad as that. But then you have scenes where like at the very beginning where she's like, I've given you a mansion. You deserve it. She's this is inappropriate. We're at war. And the queen, the queen is like, no, we're not. We yeah. won. Yeah. <laughs> and Rachel has to be go, no, no, it's still going. It's still going. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Or even when she's being angry and she's yelling at the page boy, like, how dare you look at me? How dare you look at me? Yeah. Look at me. How dare you close your eyes? Exactly. Uh, it's really, it's, so it's if really I had to, a great performance. If I had to pick one, I would give it to Olivia. It's a great performance. They I, all did so phenomenal. They all really did so great. I, I mean, Emma Stone swings as well. Like yeah. she goes from exasperated and desperate to conniving to, to crazy. Like there's a scene where she's realizing like oh crap i have to do something quick so she literally knocks the shit out of her face with a book yeah and then just sits on the ground crying and like causes this crazy scene Mm -hmm. makes up this crazy story and like that scene itself i'm just like whoa like that is so good it's so good and then rachel weiss is on it they're all on different levels and Mm -hmm. it all gels together so well which is again credit to the director credit to the performances because rachel weiss is the one who's steady the entire time she's cold, she's calculating, mm-hmm. even when things are spinning out of control, she's trying to make the moves quietly and mm-hmm. composed and stuff. And even when she's sitting in a brothel with her face all stitched up, yeah, she's just like, I'm in control of this situation. Yeah. You know, and when she And comes- even at the very end where they're coming to arrest her and take her out of the country, right. she's still like, you know what? I've always wanted to live in wherever. Like right. she still is like, I'm not going to let, I'm not surrendering. Like I'm, cho- I'm still choosing. Although there was no point in her like choosing cause right. it was happening. But even just like her mindset, that was such a good character addition to her script was just being like, I'm going to, I think we should move. <laughs> and I was like, that is like truly a good line for that character for the thing that was happening at right that like moment. the epitome of the character is that even when things are out of her control she's still acting as if they are in her control yeah you know and that's like you said it's a perfect it's a perfect uh a, a microcosm of what that character is and the fact that everybody is just hitting on those levels yeah i think is really interesting now usually when we talk about film relevance like for example in our you know uh in our Vice episode, we talked about the obvious political relevance. In our Black Panther episode, we talked about the obvious social relevance. Not as, you know, not as applicable here in terms of, in terms of you know, relevance per se. Um, certainly, though, it's, it's all about subtext, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about what is being said in terms of the way we jockey for power and try to hold on power and the things that are being done. And then there's also that 
sub subtext, which is not, it's so much subtext that it's actual text now in the fact that these are three women all vying for power amongst themselves. And the men are there, even when they're trying to get their fingers in the door, Mm -hmm. they don't matter. No, they still need the women to help with, with any further moves. The men in this movie are at best... An inconvenience. Yeah. You know, like (laughs) there are full blown scenes where it's just like, I'm going to tolerate you, you know, for the bare minimum. Yeah. You know, but there are certain, you know, it's it manages to be, you know, very sad at times, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned. Also, just darkly, darkly funny. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's a really... I, again, in terms of relevance, I think more than anything, it is a interesting story about excess, you know, and those who are trying to maintain their hold on excess, those who are doomed with it. You know, the queen is doomed with it. Mm-hmm. She's in this position of power, and it, it almost seems like to a point where, and again, this isn't said in the film, that she would... It seems like she would be willing to trade all that in if it just meant being healthy, having a kid. Like you have these things that are weighing, weighing, weighing deep, deep, deep down on her. Yeah. And she's kind of stuck there. Yeah. You know? Um, and I really like that. I really like that it it did that. I really like that it had I don't it this sounds weird, you know, but there is that certain, you know, uh bisexual, homosexual aspect to it. That it did make it interesting. It's it, these women in their fight for power. And again, I don't know how we always, my sister and I end up having these conversations on the podcast. <laughs> but it's these women using their sexuality for power. Mm-hmm. Whether it be, you know, for the men. Whether it be for the women, the queen, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's, I find that interesting. I find it, yeah. I find it interesting. I think the... The anachronisms are funny. I think the the the, the slightly modern takes are funny. Um, it's certainly not like a like a fast moving film. Yeah, by any means, but it's never not interesting. Yeah, like it's definitely not fast moving. But there wasn't a part at all during the film where I was waiting to like just waiting for the next scene like I felt every scene led into the other or had something to do with what was going to be happening Mm -hmm. so I I enjoyed it in that way yeah definitely it's (laughs) it's just it's oddly you know it's oddly fun like it's an oddly fun film it really is because it's certainly not like a crowd pleaser or anything yeah I mean I would totally see it again yeah yeah, I I, I really enjoyed it. It got twelve nominations at the British Academy Film Awards. It's a lot of nominations. Wow. Um, not the biggest in terms of like box office. You know, when we talk, we usually like to discuss a, a film's commercial success uh, on these mini episodes because, to me, I find it interesting. I find I haven't built a correlation or causality to it, but in the past few years, I have certainly seen the Academy moving more towards smaller films. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, sometimes it feels like the Academy is just another night of the independent spirit awards sometimes. Yeah. And this film, again, not, not the biggest film in the world It's distributed by an, by Fox searchlight, which is an indie distributor, even though it's not an indie distributor, it's underneath Fox. Um, it costs only costs $15 million to make thus far. It's made about 35 
So, you know, it's doing okay. It's yeah. doing all right. Now, the last thing I want to talk about before we kind of break down what mo- what uh, nominations we'll think we're getting are the look and the feel of the film. Mm-hmm. And I think for some movies, it's it's hard to do because this is a modern film. You know, The Big Short or Vice or um, Black Panther. Like, mm-hmm. okay, it's a good-looking film. It's modern and whatnot. But with this... I think that they go out of their way a lot of times to really lean into that period. I think it's a great looking movie. It is. It's a really interesting movie. Did you notice how, especially at night, they didn't use, it seemed that they didn't use a lot of artificial light sources? Yeah, it seemed like they used like a lot of like candles lit or like torches. Like there's a scene where they're walking down um, Harley and Emma Stone's character. Uh They're walking down next to that. Next to that embankment. Yeah. And like there's a bunch of like torches lining the walkway. Uh-huh. And it seemed like that was really the only lighting that they used in that entire scene. I don't know if it is or isn't, but the lighting of just them walking and getting dark when there wasn't a torch mm-hmm. and then lighting up when there was. Um, I, I did really notice that and I really liked it. I also just really loved all the fun costumes that Emma Stone got to wear because when you see her she's at the very bottom so she's in like maid's clothes right and then you see her at the end as a lady and like what a fun costume transition for that character very much so Um, and they also do a lot of similar like styles for Rachel Vice's character and Emma Stone's character towards the end too where it's like Rachel's character there's a scene where she's like shooting in pants and mm-hmm. I'm like, I, a, I wonder if that was actually women wore pants. Yeah. Like then, I, yeah. I don't think I wouldn't think so, but who knows? Sure. I also kind of like that. It showed like, this is a power move. Yep. Like sh- I'm shooting and I'm in my pants and this is <laughs> like, don't mess with me. And it also seemed like a lot of like black leathery kind of outfits which just kind of showed that it was like she's kind of a badass yeah she's and certainly the she doesn't really care she's not like a soft person that you want right. to deal with but emma stone portrayed a soft person in a way with the queen but then also played this like hard ruthless hitter yeah so I, I enjoyed seeing all the like costumes the for that. Yeah, I agree as well. I think you make a really good point in that the characters and their standing in the film um, change. You know, like you said, Emma, Emma Stone starts. She literally starts covered in mud and shit. Yeah, and then by the end of the film, she's in this decadent dress, still on her knees, massaging the the queen's feet. Yeah, the queen also goes through the same type of. You know, she starts. You know, with the decadent queen attire, there's a whole scene where uh, Rachel Weiss straps her into a freaking leather, like, riding suit. Yeah. Um, and how she transitions down to as she, her health deteriorates, so then she's just wearing frumpy robes and yeah. stuff. And the same thing with Rachel Weiss's character. She's the one who starts, she's probably got the best costumes in the whole movie. And she's the one that starts out with. The good stuff, mm-hmm. and then deteriorates into now she's literally got her faces mangled, yeah, and her co- and her her outfits are all torn up till the end of the film. When, like you said, you know they're kind of just living in this frumpy house on the countryside kind of thing. Yeah, um, that's a really good point about the costume. I mean, the costuming is gorgeous. 
The hair and makeup is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved the way that he used sort of wide angle fish lenses, fish eye lenses sometimes to give you almost a fly on the wall feel mm-hmm. for what's happening in the palace, in the room at the time. Yeah. I loved how the natural lighting, I mean, I remember some of the scenes that are in the queen's, I guess the queen's bedroom or the queen's quarters, particularly like the rabbit scene. Mm-hmm. Oh, also when Emma Stone steps on that rabbit, fuck her. Yeah. Right? Like she's like, she's I like have- crushing a rabbit. At one part. Just like I have the power now. Yeah. And, and I remember just being like, uh. Right. But then the queen is like immediately like, get over here and rub my feet. Yeah. I have the power. Yeah. You know? But go- <laughs> that's a little bit of an aside here. I just loved how the natural light like they use, like that was almost all candlelit. But then the, the the I don't know, the this cloudy daylight coming in. Yeah. Or the scenes where they're in the tunnel. There's like that one little tunnel that goes mm-hmm. out of the queen's quarters and it's just her like schlupping along holding a candelabra. Yeah. But it's just such stark contrast between the orange flames and the dark, very, very dark black. Well, and they that. do a good job at making all of the really um, like heavy or dark scenes yeah. happen at night. That's true. A lot of the like good things that you see that are happening and mm-hmm. like exciting things are during the day. Mm-hmm. Everything that's a little bit darker and moodier in tones and coloring is also darker and moodier in what is happening in the movie. That's a really good point. Yeah. I mean, it's a great I th- I mean, it's a great looking movie. It's a really good movie. It's it's again, it's certainly not you know, a, a, it's not going to get your heart racing. Yeah. One other thing that I really liked about it, too, is it was almost told in, like, storybook way. So oh, yeah, they right. would share, like, the titles of a next chapter. Uh-huh. And it'd, like, cut a scene and then it'd be a big, like, f- just colored screen with writing of kind of, like, the name of what I imagine if I was reading this in a book that next chapter would be. Sure. And I kind of like that because it set you up for, okay moving on what's happening next it's funny because that is almost even though this is not an anthology film this is a single story this buster scruggs on netflix did the same thing where each anthology story started with a page Mm -hmm. with a a, 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 an illustration and a and a a phrase or 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 a title or whatever and at some point during the story that illustration was like oh that's the illustration and Uh the title came true the same thing here where each chapter was a phrase that was ultimately said by somebody. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I wonder what that means. And then, oh, yeah. that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I really like the way that it was told, too. I think that's um, it's a really good point that I forgot about. So the last thing that we do on this particular podcast is we talk about the different nominations that we think it could get. And then we pick an over-under on the nominations it will get. All right? So. As I was looking through here, these are by no means definitive. Mm -hmm. You know, these are just the ones that I think it's in the conversation for. I think it's – and and there are some that are – I think it's definitely getting in. Like I think it's definitely getting a Best Picture nomination. Mm -hmm. Director is a very real possibility. Screenplay I think is strong. Actress I think is definitive. Supporting actress times two I think is very likely to happen. I even think there's been some conversation, but Nicholas Holt is great in this movie. He really is. He's He did a really good job at making his character shitty, but also really hilarious, yeah. too. There's a gif of him. It's the scene where, God, I don't remember whose face he gets in front of. I think it's Rachel Weisz's face, 
where he just, he's in full deck, full big ass hair. Yeah. And he just gets, he zooms in and he's like right in her face. It's mm-hmm. a perfect like physical stop. And the camera follows him really quickly. And I'm just like, that's great. Like that is great. Yeah. That no, shot. he did a good job. He did a great job. I mean, the, the supporting actress field is their supporting actor field is very strong this year. So it won't be for lack of him. It'll be because there are so many other strong um, contenders there. And then obviously a lot of the looks of the film, I think production design, especially Mm -hmm. for a period film, uh, costume design for a period film. If hair and makeup was nominating more than three, I would not, I would say maybe hair and makeup, but I don't think it's going to get in with like vice and things. Yeah. Um, And then editing. Uh, I think uh, the way that this film is edited together is very deliberate. It's certainly not, you know, fast-paced or anything. But that is 10 nominations, technically 11, 11. if you want to count supporting actress twice. Yeah. Do you think that's that's on on point there? I mean, sound really in any sound. I'm going to say under. You think you're going to say Well, I'm going to say under the 11. We're not going to pick 11. We're going to pick something that'll be a little bit harder. Okay. I'm going to say Seven. Over under seven. And you look at and the list. And this is just nominations. Yep, this is nominations, okay. not wins. I'm gonna say over seven. You think it'll get over seven? Yeah. Seven I'm might thinking be too it'll low. be One, like nine. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I think you're probably right. I'm guessing I, my hard number is nine. Okay. If we're going with seven, then I'm gonna say it's over seven. Okay. I would say over seven as well. If I was Vegas, I would probably set it at nine. Yeah. But I'm not Vegas. So we'll make it easy to okay. say. Okay. We'll say over seven. I'll say over seven. All right. I think you're I think for sure, I think we're right. I think it's definitely getting best picture. It's definitely getting screenplay, actress, two supporting actresses. I'd be shocked if it didn't get production design, costumes, mm-hmm. cinematography. That's eight, right? Mm-hmm. And editing is like on the bubble. Mm-hmm. So I think it hits I it's, if I was Vegas I would have said 8 but 7 is good. We're picking over under on 7, right? Yeah. Cool. Uh before we wrap it up, you got anything uh you want to promote? Anything you want to you want to pimp out while you're on here? Um I mean, uh, since the last time I was on here, I've already pimped out Tremaine Ranch, Tremaine Events, the Ivy Event. Yep. Um but since then, I've actually started my own podcast. You have. With one of my very good friends. Um Ricky, you've been on it. Mhm. Just the once, I guess. Just the once. Yeah. I haven't I, really done anything since yeah, then. Yeah. Well, nobody has been on it more than once. <laughs> so I don't know why I was like, uh, just the once. I'm going to strut now. I want to do something so I can just be so on you it can. again. You're welcome. But the podcast is called You Did It, and it's basically a open interview style with my friend Samantha Thompson and I. We invite one guest during each episode recording to come in and share something that they're just really proud of. It can be anything like signing up for a marathon and actually running it, signing up and finishing in dead last starting your own podcast, following your own dream career. It can be anything like you survived a disease or illness. Pretty much we've had people on there with all different stories. Yeah. Um, and so we release an episode about once a week. It's every Thursday, and you can find us at heyyoudidit.com. And if you have something that maybe you're really proud of and you'd like to share your story, we'd love to talk to you. So yeah. you can go to heyyoudidit.com and fill out our contact form. Or if you want to listen there, we got all our episodes over there. It's really cool. I think you and I approach our podcast from the same direction in that 
the popcorn diet was created to be po- a positive, al- almost always a positive look on movies. Now, obviously, that's hard to maintain. There are going to be bad movies that we don't like. Mm-hmm. But I love the idea. I really like the idea of you, you setting up to you know have this podcast to celebrate accomplishments no matter what the size is. Yeah. Although I always joke that like once you have that person who's like, I cured cancer or I climbed Everest, like what else are you going to do? Who knows? That's the final episode. <laughs> no, no. I feel like it's ever evolving. I mean, we just had, and, and we've had a lot of people who have been on who have said, I started a business or right. I started my, uh, my own business. And just by that is really proud for them to go through something like that. But even talking to them and being able to talk more in depth about what it is that they're doing and, and how why they, they chose it, yeah. that path. Every story has been different. Sure. So it's so cool to be able to sit and like, let somebody else tell me about their story and their own path and also share it in a way that's like completely transparent and they can share as much or as little as they want. And whoever's listening can hopefully be inspired that they can do something that they've wanted to do or maybe it makes somebody think like oh yeah i i did that and it makes them feel really proud of that sure because i do also think that we live in a world where it's it's a little boastful to share when you do something and people maybe get a little nervous to share their accomplishments be proud exactly so we're just all about kind of encouraging people to be proud of things that they've done big or small nice So so you did it Hey, you did it.com. Yep. Awesome. Check it out on wherever you can listen to podcasts. Yep. Pretty much. Cool. Well, thank you so much for being on here and talking about this again. We'll have you on for an episode that's not Emma Stone. I mean, I love that I've been on for every like Emma Stone. She's, right, so maybe she's we should my homegirl. Emma, if you ever listen to this, come on, you did it. Cause I, I, I imagine you're pretty proud of. Yeah. Presenting that PowerPoint to your parents so you could move to California and pursue your dreams. So if you ever want to be on an Arizona-based podcast, don't be on this one that you're listening to. Um, Be on mine. Good, good friend. Good movie buddy. A good friend of the podcast, Emma Stone. (laughs) But no, it's really fun. I always love being on this. So thank you for inviting me. When she does Cruella, we'll have you on Uh, for that too. Yes. If and when. If and when. Um, before we wrap it up, I just want to let everyone, I want to remind everybody that you can get free episodes of this podcast delivered to, to you regularly for free just by hitting that subscribe button or that follow button wherever you're following us. Just take literally 30 seconds, hit subscribe, give us a rating, write us a review, share with your friends. You know a good movie buddy? Share it with us. We want to we wanna grow the good movie buddy community. And speaking of that community, we also want to remind you to check us out on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash the popcorn diet. Leah is a patron of the podcast I and it am. is and she's the first patron that we've had on the uh, on the podcast but consider becoming a patron what's really cool is that not only are you going to be helping us grow the popcorn diet but we also offer a lot of cool swag uh, we offer exclusive episodes like our franchise refills and you can find those all on patreon.com slash the popcorn diet of course we don't want you to forget about uh, following us on facebook on twitter on instagram at the popcorn diet and then last but certainly not least you can find all of our latest regular episodes articles reviews oscar predictions hindsight awards Awards and more on our website, popcorndietpodcast.com. But 
For our special guest, good movie buddy, Leah Williamson, thank you again. Of course. I am your very best prestigious good movie buddy, Rick Williamson, and we'll see you next time with another potential Oscar contender on the Popcorn Diet 2019 Oscar Primer. Adios.